When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 104, and we are recording on Halloween. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Spooky noises! This is Halloween! (laughs) (laughs) I have a giant life-size Jack Skellington uh, that hangs in my living room that is supposed to be motion sensor, and like when you walk by it, it plays, this is Halloween! (laughs) Except my dog kept setting it off in the middle of the night, so I had to turn it off. Amazing. I watched Hocus Pocus this weekend and I've been running around yelling like amok, amok, amok for a day. <laughs> yes. Super. Another glorious morning. Yeah. <laughs> Makes <Ugh>. me sick. <laughs> My mother and I communicate almost entirely in Hocus Pocus gifts for the entire month of October. It is That's- delightful. Fantastic. It's That's really maybe the best thing I've ever heard. I'm in costume. I'm wearing my fox hoodie. I have a hoodie with fox ears on it. So, so I'm wearing I'm, my Frankenstein t-shirt. Hey. Because I thought that that was appropriate i don't know that's that's you know i'm in my 30s this is as good as it gets these days (laughs) so what are you reading jen well so i just finished reading prosperity by alexis hall who i first started reading because he writes contemporary romance like very erotic romance um but he has a steampunk series a lovecraftian queer steampunk series Yes. Everything that, you just said is relevant to my life. I know. I, I've like deliberately picked this one because I was like, Amanda needs to know, <laughs> um, as do all of the rest of you. But yeah, it's, it's, I actually, there's a bunch of like short stories and novellas set in this universe. And I accidentally read a collection of those first and then was like, oh wait, there's a novel that introduces this whole thing. So prosperity is the novel that introduces the world. And there's like airships and tentacle monsters and lots of queer people everywhere. And like, like it's really it also has some erotic bits but it is not a romance like it ends on a note that i was like wow i cannot wait to keep going um so yes i super duper into it so good so good what about you i am still reading spqr by mary beard the history of Mm. uh ancient rome and it is turning out to be quite gossipy which i really like oh Um, like the section that i'm still on this like part about cicero and Catiline. i don't know if i'm saying that one right um his like arch nemesis and how much they hated each other and it like the politics of it is very familiar like it was very like rich patrician guy versus rabble rousing populist like it's all very mm. I, I know this story um, yeah but like they're, yes. they're snark and they're they um they're i don't know they were just like humans never change i think is what i'm trying to say right. um but it's very gossipy and i'm enjoying it it's gonna take me a while to get through okay so like i said this is a show for personalized reading recommendations uh so what that means is if you are in need of just such a thing you can email us at getbooktobookguide.com or you can drop your question in the uh, form at the bottom of the show notes on the site and this could be for anything you need a book recommendation for yourself or for your book club or you need a gift for somebody whatevskis if it's time sensitive please leave that in the um, subject line or in the first line if you use the form 
the first line of your question so we can get to it on time. Uh, we might email you back instead of answering the question on air, especially if it's a question that we've already got or it's time sensitive and we are not going to get to it. <clears throat> um, also, I wanted to quickly plug the giveaway that we're doing on the site. It's for a $500 gift card to the bookstore of your choice and it is open internationally. We will figure out currency <laughs> exchange and all of that good stuff and send you the gift card if you're the winner. Um, it runs until uh, November 26th, so you can go to bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway to enter and you know, and if you win, please send me pictures of everything you buy. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I want to see, I want to see the fruits of this labor. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, and so Jen is going to tell us about some of the feedback that we've gotten, and then we will get rolling. Yeah, so we had suggestions for uh, previous questions. Um, one of our Book Riot insiders is a Swedish librarian, Emily, <laughs> who has suggestions for translated books from Stockholm. Uh, she said one is called Wonderful Feels Like This and is by an author called Sarah Lovestem. I've read another book of hers and liked it. Uh, the asker might also like Willful Disregard by Lena Anderso. And then uh, friend of Book Riot, long-term friend of Book Riot and insider Ballet Bookworm uh, had working class classics suggestions. She said to try out Lady Audley's Secret by Mary Elizabeth Braddon if you want something a little more potboilery, uh, Anthony Trollope, the Barchester series, or Thomas Hardy, the Wessex novels. So thank you for those bits of feedback. Okay, so I'm going to read our first question and then tell you about our first sponsor and away we will go. Uh, So our first question is from Elena who says, I recently got into baking and was wondering if you have any great bread making cookbooks. Just bread, not baking in general. If it's from a famous bakery, that would be nice. All right, so before we talk about bread, oh, bread, um, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is A Selfie As Big As The Ritz by Lara Williams uh, from Flatiron Books. This is her debut story collection, and the women in A Selfie As Big As The Ritz navigate the tumultuous interval between early 20s and middle age. Boy, I don't miss that early 20s bit myself. (laughs) In the title story, a relationship implodes against the romantic backdrop of Paris. Uh, In a story called One of Those Life Things, a young woman struggles to say the right thing at her best friend's abortion. In a story called Treats, a single woman comes to terms with her loneliness. So as her characters attempt to lean in, fall in love, hold together a family, fend off loneliness, build a meaningful life, all of those human things, uh, we see them alternating between expectation and resignation, giddiness and melancholy. Basically, that life roller coaster we are all on. So, this is uh, definitely a collection I'm going to look up. I do love ladies doing the thing. That's that's a subgenre of fiction that I am into. Also, I feel like this title is a reference to a Fitzgerald story, uh, The Diamond as Big as the Ritz. And now I really need to know if there's like a parallel hidden somewhere in the story collection. So, so again, that's A Selfie as Big as the Ritz by Lara Williams. Thank you for sponsoring the show. Okay, Amanda, bread. Bread! (laughs) So I went to Rebecca's house to get a recommendation for this sort of, um, because Rebecca's husband is teaching himself how to bake using a book that she got him called Flour, Water, Salt, Yeast. It's by Ken Forkish. He's a baker out of um, Portland. And I have flipped through this thing and y'all. Like, um, it is very precise and... um, if you're kind of like a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of baker, this is not going to be for you. He walks you. It's basically like an education in the chemistry of baking. You start with uh, like kind of the more simple, just like white breads, and then you move up through the different kind of artisan breads that you can make, and it gets, like I guess, progressively more difficult. And I can tell you I really enjoyed eating the fruits of this experimentation <laughs> coming out of the Shinsky house. Um, but 
Yeah, it's very precise. So, like, very precise ingredients, very precise temperatures. He gives you a list of all the stuff that you, like, the, the tools that you need to make it. Like, if you are into being, like, a student of a thing and having a list of everything that you need to do to be really good at the thing, even if it's really complicated and complex, then this is really the book for you. Like, it's pretty clear instructions, and he does have stuff in there about, like, how to work this, the, like, the proofing schedule around, you know, your daily life and all that kind of thing. Um, and there are, like, different kind of, um, I mean, it's not just white bread, wheat bread, like, there are nut breads and stuff like that, and pizza dough, and um, all that. But it, it's very, very much for, like, the orderly mind, and a person who wants, like, an actual class level, like, education in how to do this. Like, this is not, I looked up a recipe on the internet and made it in my KitchenAid and yay! Like, no, this is artisan <laughs> baking from, like, a pro. So I think that would be right up your alley. And, you know, if you mess up, it's all still very edible. And I have eaten some of the mess ups and they're pretty good. So, yeah. So that's Flour, Water, Salt, Yeast by Ken Forkish. I had to go to the contributors for this <laughs> one because as I of, forgot like, and I'm so I know, sorry. it's okay. As of two years, I was like, Amanda. Um, <laughs> as of two years ago, I can't have gluten anymore. Super, super stupid. And bread was like one of the great joys of my life. And gluten-free bread is a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. But the contributors came through. Um, our contributor, Laura Sackton, highly recommends Beard on Bread, which just is like not the right title, but okay. <laughs> it's by James Beard. That's why. That's why it's called that. Um, And she says it is super accessible and has easy and quick breads as well as more complex ones. Also the best gingerbread recipe ever and the best oatmeal bread recipe too. So I like, I love gingerbread and oatmeal Mm -hmm. bread. So I will immediately be jealous of you if you make them. Um, But yeah, James Beard is a super well-known person in the food world and um as she says this one is like very super uh accessible and quick breads you know are like you don't have to knead them you just like throw Mm -hmm. the ingredients together stick them in a pan and throw it in the oven which is always my favorite kind of baking personally i'm not super good at like the fourteen thousand ingredient 12 step recipes Mm -hmm. um so if you want something that has complex ones and easy ones this is a good one to look up so again that's beard on bread so wrong um by james beard <laughs> i actually in the reviews for flour water salt yeast beard on bread was kind of positioned as the antithesis of oh really of that so yeah it's like are they like more... book enemies or something i don't think they're enemies they're just very right. different like right. philosophies of baking like beard Indeed. on bread is a lot more casual and a lot fewer specialty um tools so mm-hmm. like if you are not a kind of person who's financially able to go drop 200 bucks on stuff to make like sandwich bread, beard right. on bread probably better. But you know, like it was funny, like the kind of, I don't know, West Side Story knife fights happening in the, <laughs> in the reviews about these two freaking, like just make some bread, you'll be fine. I promise. Don't, don't mess with bakers. I know. Okay. Bakers are like, all right. Everybody has their thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, question two is from Emily, who says, what does she say? I'm a recent convert to the world of romance, um, but I'm feeling overwhelmed. I tried different things over the years, but never found anything that felt like my romance. And then I discovered Penny Reed. I read Truth or Beard, and then prom- I can't. <laughs> Accidental <laughs> beard theme. I know. <laughs> and then promptly, promptly uh, flew through the rest of the existing Winston Brothers series, and now I'm flying just as quickly through the knitting in the city books. But I'm almost out, and it will be months before her next book is out. I love how smart, sweet, and nerdy her books are while still being plenty hot and having a great plot in addition to the romance. Looking, I'm looking for a contemporary setting, and I love the feel of the interconnected family 
a friend slash family saga with each book focusing on one member of the group. This request is time sensitive as I'm about to travel for business and need to fill up my Kindle and will be able to carry physical books. Okay. Um, I picked Hate to Want You by Alicia Rye, which is the first book in the Forbidden Hearts series. And is the second one out yet? No, not until later in November. Yes. Okay. So the second one comes out in November. Um, Okay. So this series of books follows two families, uh, the Canes and the Chandlers, who are, this is like a Capulet's Montague's situation, like deep enemies um, in, I don't know what city it takes place in, but whatever, that's not really relevant. Um, the Canes and the Chandlers owned a, cha- a really successful chain of uh, grocery stores together, and then through a series of tragedies and betrayals, the Chandlers stole all of the shares of the store from the Cain family, plunging them into, like, not poverty, but, you know, out of wealth, basically. Um, there was a couple of deaths in the family. Just all of these terrible things happened one after the other, and the families really hate each other. So in Hate to Want You, Livy Kane is... Uh, a daughter of the Kane family and Nicholas Chandler. They dated while all of this stuff was happening when they were teenagers. They broke up, um, and once one night a year since then, for the past decade, they have been meeting in different cities, having really, really hot sex, and then never speaking for the rest of the year because their families will kill them if they find out that this is what they're doing. Um, and then when the book opens, Livy has moved back into town because her mother is sick, and so she's come back to take care of her mother. And they, you know, cross paths, and just stuff just blows up. <laughs> just all of this, like, family drama. Um, they, It is rougher maybe than a lot of um romance novels both in the general content and like the sex um but there's they deal with like mental illness stuff there's a lot of um emotional and mental abuse on both sides of the family from the parents and the grandparents uh so it's like it's a darker kind of romance like this is not you know you wrote me a letter and i didn't get it and now i have a weird misunderstanding about how much you love me kind of a thing this is like problems these people have problems um but it's really like oh grabs you by the heart and then every book after that uh there are going to be three i think so far planned but um every book after that deals with a different member of one of the families um or like somebody who works for them so like it's that friends family saga thing where every book is a different member of like this group of of humans um livy's a great character it was one of the first times that i'd read a romance novel where a character has like tons of visible tattoos which was a thing i didn't know i wanted but there it is um so that was nice yeah uh so that's hate to want you by alicia rye so good um okay i i can't i kept changing my i changed my mind four times on this question (laughs) because there are like a bunch of things that could work but i wanted to give you a series that was totally out um which was tricky and also contemporary not regency anyway okay so i picked radio silence by Alyssa cole which is the first book in the off the grid series um and this is technically a near future series it takes place after like a like a big huge um, power collapse, like literal, like electricity is suddenly not working anymore. Um, and nobody knows why. And uh, Arden, who is the heroine of the first book, um, and her roommate, they are living in Rochester, New York, going to college, and they are like, okay, well, now what? Um, so his family has a cabin near the Canadian border, and they're not that far. So they feel like, okay, we'll go there. Um, so they make it almost to the cabin and get attacked by scavengers, and then, but uh, the family like happens to come to the rescue. And so Arden starts falling for John's older brother, Gabriel, who is like a control freak. And like also they're all stuck in this house together. So it's like Arden and then John and John's parents and Gabriel and their kid sister Maggie. And like 
what are they going to do? It's like like a sort of slight, like like a mild end of the world situation. Like the world isn't on fire, but it is not exactly safe out there. And like, how are they going to cope? Um, and I have I re- I love this whole series. The next book um, in the series, Signal Boost, follows uh, John and. Um, and like he's just like I cannot be stuck in this cabin anymore. Like I have to go do something. Um, so he sets off on a sort of mission um, and falls for a guy named Mikhail, who is an astrophysics student. Like so, talk about sweet and nerdy. Like yes, these books are so nerdy. Um, and and then the third book, Mixed Signals, follows Maggie, who's the youngest in the family. And they are just they really are so sweet. Like the romances are so sweet. Um, they are steamy and. And even though it's like set sort of in the near future, it's not so science fiction-y that I think it will throw you out if you prefer contemporary. Like these are pretty real world problems, plus like things are slightly worse than they are now, which is like, you know, not great. <laughs> so it's 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 not such a stretch, I don't think. Um, and I just really feel like the feelings that you will get out of this are the feelings that it sounds like you want out of your romance reading. So that's the Off the Grid series uh, by Alyssa Cole. The first one is um, Radio Silence. Okay, third question is from Sandra, who says, my daughter and her friend are in grade seven and need to be reading more science nonfiction, according to their teacher. She feels that the girls will be more comfortable participating in class discussions. Any recommendations, specifically global warming and organic food, if possible? They read National Geographic, but otherwise, I'm at a loss. I love this question. Amanda, what do you got? Okay, I went with uh, We Are the Weathermakers by Tim Flannery, which is a YA kind of redoing of his book, The Weathermakers. Um, it was the, this YA version of it um, came out in 2009. Um, so it's pretty up to date. And this is really a history of climate change, how climate change has, um, well, happened basically. And what we as humanity have done to make it happen. So it goes backwards that way, but then it also is forward-looking, so it gives kids a lot of data about um, models and projections about where the climate is heading and how that's going to affect civilization. There are interviews in the books, uh, in the book with uh, with people whose lives have been changed, whose jobs have disappeared, whose homes have disappeared because of climate change, Um, and then it also interviews people who are working on, like, green energy, renewable resources, new forms of technology that uh, hopefully will get integrated pretty quickly into daily life so that we can do what we can to combat the effects of climate change. There's also like a big section of like practical tips that young people, (laughs) young adults can do while they're still living with their parents uh, to live a greener lifestyle, things they can do like in school, in their own houses, out in the community when they're like out living their lives, that sort of thing. So it's really like a 101 um, kind of look at how climate change has happened and what we can do about it and what young people can do about it in the future. So that's We Are the Weathermakers, The History of Climate Change by Tim Flannery. All right. I, like, was the seventh grader. I love National Geographic, but I didn't read any nonfiction. Like, nobody ever gave me interesting scientific nonfiction, and it did not occur to me that that explains a lot about my my academic life um, until I read this question. So I picked uh, World Without Fish by Mark Kurlansky, illustrated by Frank Stockton, which is a graphic novel uh, about 
fish and like ocean ecology um, in a lot of different ways. Like he goes into, so Kurlansky is the author of a bunch of great micro histories, right? He's the guy who wrote salt, um, cod, like big oyster. Like this is a guy who specializes in telling very specific stories about a thing. And what's interesting about world without fish is that he's going into all of the different facets of what's happening to our sea life as a result of overfishing, global warming, pollution, like all of those things. He's looking at, you know, the politics and the biology of it and the history and the cultures. And, um, but it's a graphic novel. Like it's a, I mean, excuse me, it's a graphic nonfiction. So it is got beautiful illustrations. Like they really are gorgeous. Um, and it goes in a bunch of different ways. It's got like little inset comics that kind of help tell a story about uh, industrialized fishing and bottom dragging and all of these other things. And then it's got actual like factual sections. It's got charts. Um, it's got like diagrams and it is just a really beautiful book. It also has a section in the back of more resources, um, things you can do if you want to help, like places to look to get involved. So it's a really, it's a really good, I feel like if they like National Geographic, like they're used to looking at things that have pictures and like shorter text, like this is a great thing because it has a completely integrated images and text, but it's not like dumbing it down. It's like, here's the facts. Like I'm just presenting them in an interesting and fun way. Uh, so that is World Without Fish by Mark Kurlansky, illustrated by Frank Stockton. Okay, question four is from Joss, who says, I'm looking for books with an Asian male love interest. The sexuality of the protagonist doesn't matter to me. I'm not trying to say that they don't matter, but I want to clarify that the relationship can be male-male, male-female, male-gender fluid, etc. But I'm having trouble finding a book that doesn't portray Asian men and boys stereotypically as nerdy and not romantically desirable. I tried Warcross by Marie Lu, but didn't enjoy it, and I'm not sure where to go next. I prefer adult novels to YA, and I pretty much enjoy every genre. Okay, this is apparently the Courtney Milan show. Um, <laughs> so that we're just gonna. Oh, but no, you changed it. So I did. Not. I was gonna say I kept changing it. So. Never mind. It's not the well. Whatever. Anyway, I picked Hold Me by Courtney Milan, <laughs> uh, which is the second book in the Cyclone series, none of which I've read except this one. So I don't think that you need to have read Trade Me, I think is the first one, in order to uh, read this. So this is a romance novel. It's a contemporary romance novel. The uh, main characters are Maria and Jay. Jay is mm, Thai? He, I think he's half Chinese and half Thai. Um, and he is um, a like genius scientist, genius, genius scientist. He's a very uh, driven and functionally a workaholic. He doesn't have a really healthy social life to speak of. Um, he's like friends with Maria's brother, and that's how they meet. And that's like his friend is Maria's brother. Um, but he's, you know, he's in a really competitive academic field, and that's just where his focus is, and that's uh, what he's made time for in his life. Maria is such an interesting character. Her job, I have never, I've seen like bloggers of romance novels, but her blog is about like mathematical models of the apocalypse and like different ways that the apocalypse can happen based on like math and science theory. Um, and so Jay and Maria have been communicating over the internet, like texting, emails, whatever, for over a year because he found this blog and was a commenter on her blog. And so they've become like really close friends. They both are interested in maybe having a romantic relationship there. They've never met each other, never seen each other, whatever. 
then they meet in real life and hate each other like with a passion and don't know that it's the same person of course you know that they've like been anonymously talking to and befriending for over a year so uh, that is what's happening <laughs> like they hate each other in real life Jay is very condescending to her he says a couple of like pretty bad sexist uh, stuff to her Maria is a very feminine woman and he kind of interprets that as her being a little bit dumb which of course is wrong and terrible um, so they work out all that stuff uh, in their real life relationship and then when they find out which of course they do because it's a romance novel um, that who each other is and that like actually like that's my best friend who I have met and spoken with for like over a year online but I also hate him but I love hate what <laughs> I don't feelings feelings explosion um, so yeah, and Jay is bisexual, Maria is a trans character, and it's just, it's just great, like, so many feelings, and I just, I, I really like the, the hate to love trope, I, I find it really entertaining, like, the, the ways that people, the ways that romance authors express, like, supreme irritation on the page is always really <laughs> funny to me, um, but this is a great example of that, so that's Hold Me by Courtney Milan. Yeah, this is actually the Alicia Rye show. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Amanda recommended um, the first book, Hate to Want You. I would not normally do this, but it's like, oh, it's so perfect for this question. Um, Wrong to Need You is the second book. It's out November 28th. So like three weeks. I'm not so far out. It's just three weeks, y'all. Um, and it is like... Whew. Okay, so Wrong to Need You is about uh, Jackson Kane, who is Livy's brother, and Sadia Ahmed, who was married to Jackson's older brother. <gasps> I know, I no. know. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't heard anything so, about the second book. And oh the Canes, the Canes are an Asian family, and Jackson is like this giant, muscled, motorcycle driving, leather jacket wearing, like amazing hero um he and and he's been in love with Sadia forever they actually had a thing before she started dating his older brother and his older brother has died and left Sadia a widow and she's got a son and she's like really struggling as a single mom and it is about how she like Jackson comes back into her life because Livy is back in town and Livy and Sadie are best friends. Um, and she is so mad at him mm -hmm. because he has not replied to a single email she sent him in like 10 years. And she is just livid because he was supposed to be her friend. And he like had not had been having personal issues. Um, and so it's really about them like trying to figure out how they fit into each other's lives now that everything is so different from when they were kids. And oh man, it's it's smoking hot. It's really good. And there, again, like explosions of feelings. Like, there's <laughs> so many feelings. Um, and there's also so many other great things about this. Like you have two families of color on the page. Uh, Sadia is bisexual. She's a single mom. Jackson is like, has like social anxiety. Like I can't even tell you how, I did not think I could love a book more than I loved hate to want you and then I read wrong to need you like wow it might be my favorite in the series so far which is really saying something so um so yeah so that's wrong to need you by Alicia Rye it's fantastic <laughs> I also want to shout out really quickly if you want to try something that's not a romance because you didn't specify romance we're just like throwing them at you um Kevin Kwan's Crazy Rich Asian series has like a ton of relationships on the page. And as you might guess, like the characters are Asian. So that might also be something you should pick up. Uh, so yeah, but again, that was Wrong to Need You by Alicia Rye. It's out late November. It's, it's coming soon. 
Okay, before we move on to our next question, we're going to talk about our second sponsor, which is The Bride Who Got Lucky by Jana McGregor, uh, which is out today. This is the second book in her Regency romance series. The first one was called The Bad Luck Bride, and that came out in May. And that was named one of the top ten romance debut novels on Booklist. So that's that's fun. Um, so this is the Cavendisham Heiress series. And in, in The Bride Who Got Lucky, the two main characters are Nicholas. Nicholas is solitude. He's not, like, super into going out into society. But he's really driven by honor. He's a reclusive earl, and he feels obliged because of personal reasons to keep a watchful eye on Lady Emma Cavendisham. Um, she possesses kind of a penchant for not ladylike activities and passion that finds Nick like in constant peril of his world being upended. Emma is a really interesting character. She is um, really headstrong. She's trying to start a bank that lends money to female entrepreneurs and women who are like having financial difficulties, which of course in Regency England was like, who would have thought? And so she has, like, you know, little use for men. And she's also, at the same time, trying to prove that, like, her late friend's death was murder and not an accident. But then there's a compromising moment in her life. It upends all of her plans to do all of this good and to solve this problem that she's having. And Nick is maybe the only man who's, like, brave enough to stand by her while she is dealing with all of this stuff. So as you can probably tell, it talks a lot about feminism and historical feminism. It's uh, a Regency historical, which is my favorite kind of romance. So go check that out. The Bride Who Got Lucky by Jana McGregor. Available um, now, October 31st. So, woohoo. Okay, our next question is from Caroline, who says, My reading interests are all over the place, which is easy in some ways because there are lots of books I want to read, but it's hard to find ones that I really love. Some all-time favorites include Random Family by Adrienne Nicole LeBlanc, uh, In Cold Blood by Truman Capote, Birds of America by Laurie Moore, and The Poisonwood Bible by by Barbara Kingsolver. I guess I'm looking for well-written books with captivating slash give-me-the-feels characters. If you notice another common thread in those favorites, please enlighten me. I picked for you, um, because you have a couple family uh, sagas in here, I picked The Fortunes by Peter Ho Davies, which is not actually a family saga, but it is a multi-generational novel. Uh, It starts in early America during the building of the railroads, with Chinese labor, um, and the first character is a Chinese man who, well, a Chinese American man who is the valet for a railroad baron. Um, the second uh, narrator in the book is uh, Hollywood's first Chinese movie star, and then the third book is about the friend of a Asian hate crime victim, and then the fourth. Uh, character is a biracial writer who is going to China to adopt a child. So they're, they it's a book that moves through America's history um, through the lenses of these four characters. And this book did give me all of the feelings. Um, and it, it was really interesting because, you know, a lot of these books are sort of related by family. And instead, there were these small through lines that Davies really beautifully distributed throughout the book like there are these little callbacks um, sort of like really nicely woven into each individual story so you do feel like there's a connection aside from just that all of the characters are Chinese American Um, but it's it's really beautifully written 
it's just so atmospheric. Like you really feel sucked into each different setting. And it's some of it's rough, um, obviously, like there's a hate crime victim, you know, section. Um, but it is just, it's really, it's really, really good, you guys. Like it's really, really good. Uh, so I think that given the other books that you liked, you will like this one. So that is The Fortunes by Peter Ho Davies. Okay, I picked Cutting for Stone by Abraham Vergisi for the same kind of reasons that uh, Jen picked hers. It's a family saga, um, but also I think that you seem to like books that are set in kind of out of the way or remote places, like In Cold Blood is that takes place in the middle of nowhere and the Poisonwood Bible, of course. So Cutting for Stone takes place in like an isolated um, convent <laughs> or mission hospital in Ethiopia in Addis Ababa. It takes place during the 60s and the 70s and then goes on into the 80s in, in the U.S. Um, but it's about two twin brothers, Marion and Shiva, who were born um, to an Indian nun who has an affair with a British surgeon at this hospital. The, um, their mother dies during childbirth and their father is overcome with grief and like disappears and abandons them entirely. And so they're raised by people at this convent. Um, they come of age just as Ethiopia is having lots of like political upheaval and unrest. Um, and they both fall in love with the same woman. They both fall in love with medicine, but entirely in entirely different ways. Um, like one of the boys follows their father in this like Western medicine kind of um path the other one doesn't and Marion eventually flees like he he all of this stuff that's happening with his his family and his life and his country he just like runs off he goes to America um he finds you know pours himself into his work in an overcrowded hospital in New York City and then the woman that they both loved finds him there like and his past just totally catches up to him um he has to confront his father and his brother who he's been avoiding for many, many years, like crossed an ocean to get away from. And it's just heart-wrenching. Like, I feel like it, it reminded me, it has a lot in common, I think, with the Poisonwood Bible, where, like, these people just destroy each other, but also really love each other, question mark? I mean, like, you, you, th you think, you think maybe they do, but they don't know how to act like it. Um, but it's, like, just so human and hard to read and, like, just tissues have with you, please. It's really, really good, though. <laughs> like, that's uh, these are the words that I have for you. It's amazing. That's all. There you go. As Liberty would say, a five-alarm snot bomb. <laughs> it is a five-alarm snot bomb. And it's one of those, like, I don't know, this is a subgenre that I've just realized exists, but, like, books by doctors, like, n brilliant novels by brilliant medical minds is, like, a whole mm. thing, right? Some some surgeons just, like, come out of their medical world and write these amazing works of fiction and then just, like, are never heard from again. Not that he's not been heard from again, but, you know, he's not written anything like this since. So that's Cutting for Stone by Abraham Brigace. Is it me? Yes. It is. Okay. Um, I did not write on who this is from, and I'm sorry, that's my bad. But, so, yeah, Anonymous asks, of, I've recently discovered HBO's Girls, and I am obsessed. I would love some really modern feministy books that have the same feel. I've read Lena Dunham and Maggie Nelson this week and loved it, as well as Fun Home and Bitch Planet. Where do I go from here for smart, funny, feminist lit that also entertains? Go, Django. Okay. I have for you All Grown Up by Jamie Attenberg, which is like the 40s version of girls, <laughs> kind of. Um, it is about a woman named Andrea who is like hitting her 40s. She's unmarried. She's single. And she is so tired of people being like, when are you going to get married? When are you going to settle down? When are you going to grow up? And it's hard because she's looking around like she wanted to be an artist, but she hasn't quite 
ever gone beyond just sketching for herself. Um, she has a job that like she's good at, but she does not care about at all. Uh, her brother and his wife are having a baby. Um, her best friend is like living the artist's life, but he's also like flat broke and dysfunctional. And um, and sort of the crux of this book is about the baby is born but has severe uh, health issues. And um, this is sort of the catalyst for Andrea as she's trying to figure out, like, does she need to be any different than she actually is? Like, what does it mean to be a grown-up? What can it mean to her? Like, what does it mean to the people around her? Um, and when you were talking about loving girls, I was thinking about how, like, sometimes you just want to shake them. You're like, oh my gosh, like why do you not see the appropriate response to this thing? <laughs> um, and I occasionally felt like that with Andrea. I was like, oh, don't do that thing. Um, but in like the way that I'm just so invested in watching her story unfold. She's really snarky. She's like a little bit bitter, which is legit. Um, <laughs> She's like she's she's really I I think she's an incredibly powerful character and I I really loved this book even though it's not like a happy feel good kind of you know like lighthearted Bridget Jonesy thing like that's not what this is um, and the ending oh like wow feels like definitely lots of feels so uh, yeah I'm I'm a big fan of this book uh, so again that's All Grown Up by Jamie Attenberg. Okay, I picked Losing It by Emma Rathbone, which is just a snarky, unlikable, very girlsy kind of contemporary piece of literary fiction. It's about a woman named Julia who's 26. She's still a virgin. She has a terrible job that she hates in like the um, suburban outskirts of Washington, D.C., um, which are the worst if you have not been there. And she uh, hates her job. She hates where she lives. She doesn't have any friends. Um, and, like, she's just generally unsatisfied with her life. She's become obsessed with this, with the fact that she's still a virgin, though. She's, like, trying to get out there and meet people um, and, like, get out into her community and get rid of what she considers to be this, like, cross that she's bearing. Uh, but then she realizes that it's not working. She's picked the wrong city for that kind of thing. So she just up and quits her job and decides she's going to completely reroute her life. And she goes to spend the summer with her Aunt Vivian in North Carolina, who she is not close to, um, but, like, wants to become close to. So she stays there for a while, and then she finds out that her aunt, who is 58, is also a virgin. And in observing her life, as she stays with her, Julia becomes, like, completely absorbed with this idea that she has to avoid this fate. Like, she cannot end up like her aunt, even though her aunt is a pretty, like, awesome and badass character. Um, so Julia herself is... She's one of these characters who I love, which is... Um, like kind of socially awkward women who are actually really terrible, but like, you know, <laughs> this is, and I feel like it's a very girls thing to do, like to examine what makes a modern female character unlikable without being apologetic about it. Like Julia knows that she's being awful when she's being awful and she feels bad about it, but it doesn't stop her. And like, I feel like that's something that Lena Dunham has really spent a lot of her career kind of poking at. Um, so it's, it's like, it's hilarious and funny and, following Julia on these like bizarre dates that she goes on in this attempt to get rid of her virginity is like, Oh, it's just painful. It reminded me quite a bit of watching like some of the more awkward episodes of girls, which I powered through like five of them before I just couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's losing it by Emma Rathbone. 
Okay, our last question is from Jackie, who says, I have always loved what I guess I'll call survival novels. Growing up, I loved Hatchet and My Side of the Mountain and Julie and the Wolves. As an adult, I've enjoyed Wild, Tracks, and The Martian. Basically, I love stories of someone learning to survive on their own, whether by choice, like Wild, or because of a bad situation, like The Martian. I'm looking for more titles to fill this particular place in my heart. Thanks for your help. I was... So this, okay, so first of all, trigger warning, uh, I'm going to talk about rape in the discussion of my book. So if you do not want to hear that, like, fast forward. Um, But so I picked Once Upon a River by Bonnie Jo Campbell. And the reason I picked it is because I started thinking about what it means to be a survival novel in the modern day as opposed to, like, a survival memoir, right? Like, there's all of the, you know, you can find, like, plenty of the, like, I got stuck on a mountain and survived or, like, I had to chop off a piece of my anatomy to live (laughs) through a situation like those all exist and like that's kind of I don't feel like that as a genre has changed super much um but I was thinking about novels specifically and books that I like watched somebody try to survive in and Once Upon a River was one of the first ones that came to my head it is a really intense very dark book about a 16 year old named Margot Crane who is like very pretty. Um, she's growing up in Michigan, sort of in rural, deep m- rural Michigan, with her very like large and sort of boisterous and problematic family. Um, and when she's 15, she's raped by her uncle. And a year later, like that's not even the start of the book. A year later, she she basically shoots her uncle in the junk. Like that's what happens. And then um, things happen after that and her father dies and she takes off. Like she flees home. She gets into a boat um, and goes down the river and all she has with her are like a couple supplies and a biography of Annie Oakley. And she's like trying to find her mother because her mother has been vanished for a while. And so she is parentless, she's on a river, she's 16, and she's pretty, and, like, she knows how to shoot a gun because she grew up with guns. Um, But, like, otherwise, she is not at all prepared for the world in any way that any of us at 16 are prepared to like take off on a boat down the river and try to be a person in the, in the modern world. Um, so it's part wilderness survival and part like surviving in modern society, uh, survival, which is, you know, they're both very sort of distinct and different, but equally treacherous situations. So it's 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 not like a rousing story of the strength of the human spirit, you know, in the same way that a lot of survival memoirs are. But it really digs into like, what does it look like to be just 100 percent on your own, to not be able to go back? And like, how do you move forward? And just really. Yeah, I read this book years ago and I like have not stopped thinking about it. So that's Once Upon a River by Bonnie Jo Campbell. Okay, I took this very literally, and I went with <laughs> Adrift by Stephen Callahan, uh, which was published in 1986 and is a, a memoir of Callahan's experience being lost at sea. He was, was um, adrift, as you would imagine, for 76 days, which I'm pretty sure is the record for the longest amount of time that someone has been like stuck on a life raft in the middle of the ocean. Um, he was on a, a ship, like a sailboat, that he was going to sail across the Atlantic uh, in, and it capsized and sunk, and so he was stuck on his inflatable like dinghy for uh, after only like six days. After being out on the water for six days, his boat sank, and so he was stuck on his uh, raft. And so the book is about how he survived. You know, like 
the the weird sores he developed and like how he got water and the fish that hung out on around his raft that he had to kill and eat um and sunstroke not losing your mind from solitude like all of that kind of stuff um he goes into a lot of really specific detail about the survival aspect. So if that's the thing that like you're really after of like, how would you survive for four months on a raft by yourself with nothing? Um, he will tell you how, uh, but it's also just like well-written. Like he, he's, it's very contemplative and he, you know, he talks a lot about the, the cold and unfeeling ocean and how when you're in that sort of situation and you're, Hurling your desperate, you know, your desperate pleas at the sky, nothing answers you. Like, and what that feels like as a human being by yourself in that kind of situation. Um, and when he finally gets home, all all of the the thoughts that he has about like sitting still without his couch moving, not being in pain, not being hungry or dehydrated and wearing like a full set of clothes was just the happiest he'd ever been in his life. And like that I thought was a really powerful sentiment. So yeah, so that's Adrift 76 Days Lost at Sea by Stephen Callahan. And that's our I show. <laughs> I was just going to say, I should throw in there that I almost picked the uh, book Endurance, which is all about Shackleton. So, you know, <laughs> if you want a classic, that's also a good one. Speaking by of Alfred losing Lansing. your limbs. But didn't I he know. have like frostbite of like all of his toes? I don't know. Oh my gosh. It's like grizzly. Yeah. They like <laughs> ate the dogs, like, you know, the whole nine yards. <laughs> and somehow that's the worst part when they have to hurt the dogs. <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Uh, please go leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier for people to find. Thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram these days at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen, tell them where you are. I am on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that's Jen with two N's. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.